How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put in their Lululemons and take a yoga class while drinking a green juice. If you experience any of these symptoms, text your priest immediately. All right, welcome, Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining me. I'm Allison Melody. Today, we've got three pioneers in different aspects of the health space, but one thing that they all share in common is they have a unrelenting passion to help you live your best life, which I know, live your best life, it sounds like an overused Instagram hashtag, and yes, it is. But really, today is just about empowerment, empowering you to live and feel your best regardless of the past, regardless of current circumstances or world circumstances that may be telling you otherwise. So let's just sit back, enjoy a nice green juice or whatever it is that you are eating and drinking these days and get really, really excited to live our best lives in 2020, the rest of this year, 2021 and beyond. So first up, I'm talking with the author of Models Do Eat, Jill DeYoung. Jill is passionate about helping others to find better ways to move and eat and deal with stress and really design action steps for all that you want to achieve in your life. Her brand new podcast is called Life Done Better. Then I'll be talking with the authors of The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, Harriet Tinka and Dr. Alan Laika. Now, Harriet's story is very, very powerful, so inspiring, so scary. I can't even imagine going through this. She was stabbed kidnapped and left for dead. Um, She was in a domestic violence situation, but she was able to turn that horrifying, unimaginable experience into motivation. And she's completely changed her life. She's now inspired and given hope to women who are facing domestic violence. She's known by her students as a powerhouse role model, and she has now helped thousands of people reach their full potential. It's an amazing story I can't wait to share. And her co-author, Dr. Laika, has been acknowledged as one of the leading cosmetic dermatologists in the world for three decades. But in 2003, his life was completely changed when he suddenly developed a right foot dropped and then was misdiagnosed with ALS, which is Lou Gehrig's disease. But still, he maintained his status as a leading cosmetic doctor for 30 years. He healed himself So after both of them overcame these massive health and life challenges, they teamed together to write a book all about the secrets to living the most fantastic life ever. So let's dive right in. Roll it, Roxy. The Food Heals Podcast starts now. She's the author of Models Do Eat and host of the podcast Life Done Better. Please welcome Jill DeYoung. Thanks so much, Allie, for having me on the show today. I'm so glad to have you. I love having other podcasters on because I know there's going to be good audio, which makes me so happy. 
I know. I was setting up my microphone. I'm like, I hope she enjoys that. And I'm like, yes, I, I personally like to hear my voice through the mic and I also have my headphone on. It kind of dials me in the moment because there's no outside distraction. When you, Once your headphones are on, like the big ones that cover your entire ear, you're like, okay, I'm only hearing my breath. There's no distraction. I'm tuned in. We're ready. Right? That's such a good point. And when I used to have people in the studio in person, it was like, you're sitting around a table and when you put the headphones on, you can hear the conversation. You're like, oh, I'm like on a radio show. And it makes it so real rather than just sitting around talking around a a table. Yeah, absolutely. I must agree. It's a fantastic feeling. For sure. All right. So let's learn more about you. So you've worked as a model, a health coach, a personal trainer, a chef, an author. You've got your book. You've done so much. You're in commercial. I just saw you in a Peloton commercial, right? Yeah, that's right. I was the Peloton girl. That's amazing. So the Peloton girl is here on Food Heals. So honored. But take me back to how you got on your journey to health and wellness. Well, uh, it started, unfortunately, with you know, health go, you know, going wrong, kind of creating health problems. And that started, uh, let's say, like, I'll bring the journey back to the start of my modeling career. So I'm 38 now. I was 17 when I moved to Italy and I started a modeling career. I initially thought I was only going to do it for a year because I didn't quite know what I wanted to study and commit to next. But then it became a lifelong career um, or lifelong, I should say. A quarter of a life, probably 20 years altogether, because I only really recently quit a year ago and made the transformation to become a health coach and personal trainer about five or six years ago now. But when I started modeling, I lived with other models in modeling apartments. And no, that's nothing fancy. You have bunk beds, you share a fridge, you share a bathroom with many other girls. You can barely unpack your suitcase. There's no shelf space. Nothing fancy here. So it's so, not glitz and glamour like everyone believes it is. Oh, no. And, uh, you know, we're scrambling. We have no money and we got to go out and look for work. So gotcha. the girls in the apartment are all coming from all these different places all over the world. And, um, you know, one of the girls asked me, so what about your calorie intake? And I'm like, what about it? She's like, well, how much, you know, how many calories do you consume a day? And I'm like, honestly don't even know what a calorie is. I, I, I was not I was not even thinking about it. I always ate very well and I was very active and you know we grew food at our own house. My parents were healthy eaters and we could snack on the weekends at times and so I just never really thought about it. And so I I I then thought, well, okay, this is now my job and I better get you know, get those calories counting in and I, I have to understand how this works. So I started going to the stores and checking the labels and I, uh, it was really daunting because a lot of the things that I like to eat, like bread and cheese and nuts, were all really high in calories. Now, luckily, and mm-hmm. back then I thought it was, you know, really fantastic. Now I know better, but luckily I found the diet section and I I realized that I could eat plenty of food with little calories if I would eat diet food. So zero calorie products or, you know, sugar substitutes, all like a real chemical shit show. But but then I didn't know that. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to win this game. I'm going to eat plenty without feeling hungry or, you know, like, like I'm depriving myself. But it wasn't like that. I actually was snacking so much because somehow that food does not register in your body. It doesn't really right. read. It <laughs> so I was actually constantly hungry and I was snacking a lot. And then because I was snacking a lot, I would be skipping meals. 
I was working tons. I was traveling lots. I was constantly sleep deprived. Now, when you're younger, you can get away with so much. But so many years later, it catches up. And so many years later, I started getting health issues. And it was more gut related. It wasn't super you know, dramatic, but it was really like not feeling well, feeling foggy, having candida, um, irritable, just really not feeling myself at all. And just not enough, like not getting enough sleep. And even if you get enough sleep, not feeling like you actually want to be social. It was just, I was just dragging. I, I, something's got to change. And I was trying to change things around, but I couldn't do it myself. So I went to a nutritionist and he was telling me about how my body was acidic. And I was like, I have, no, again, no clue what that means exactly. So please tell me. And so he explained me about the pH of our bodies and how mm-hmm. we need an alkaline environment in our body for our body to naturally heal and thrive. So he said, well, a lot of the things that you're eating and you think is healthy is actually not healthy. Shocker. Um, so <laughs> because I was shopping at Trader Joe's, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm doing really well. So now I know, again, there's so many degrees in, in being healthy. Right. But back then, I, it was pretty shocking to me that I, again, had to read, uh, learn how to read labels. And once I start realizing that everything that I put in my mouth had either an effect like on the alkaline or the acidic balance of the, the environment in my body, I felt actually really empowered. I'm like, why, why doesn't everyone know this? Like, because people that I shared it with didn't know it either. So I didn't feel like I was that miseducated, but I felt like, okay, this is something I need to share. So I I remember I had the same moment. I was like, everyone must know about this. Why don't they? And it's because doctors aren't trained in this. So when I learned about the alkaline environment and creating that, and you, there were pH strips that you could measure by peeing on them. I was like, I want to be alkaline all the time. And doesn't everyone else? And I started telling everyone and people were like, no, I'm good. And I was like, what? What do you mean? Don't you want to have some control over your health or an indicator how well you're doing? I, I, you know, it's the number one thing I recommend to my clients. If they say, if there's one thing I should be doing or can do, and it's not that hard, you know, because people don't want to put a lot of work in oftentimes. I'm like, well, it it, it really is to take care of your alkalinity. However you want to do that. It could be alkalizing your body by drinking lemon water daily and eating more greens. Um, I, you know, for me, apple cider vinegar, the raw kind of the brand Bragg's really made a difference in my alkalinity levels, even though it's acidic, it's alkaline warming, right? And it's really good for for the gut bacteria. Yeah. And same with lemons. Everyone thinks it's acidic, but when the way it affects your body is that it creates more alkaline environment. So there's a lot of misconceptions. I love learning this stuff. And I'm with you on the apple cider vinegar too. And I know it's rough, but if you mix it with water, it's not so bad, you know? Exactly. I, I would never recommend actually drinking it straight up because it can burn the good bacteria in your, in your esophagus. So you really want to be careful uh, to not, not do shots. Uh, always dilute it with water. Yeah. And, uh, and you can put it in your salad. You can put it in a smoothie. I mean, you know, you can kind of get rid of the taste too. But yeah, I, sure. I, you know, I really made a lot of small changes that added up to, you know, to me feeling so much better. And And one of the things I also had to do was starting to like cook and learn how to cook because my mom never taught me how to cook. I pretty much went to Milan, Italy as a model, not knowing how to fry an egg. That's how bad it was. I mean, it's, it's, I'm not even kidding. So I started 
educating myself, looking up recipes. And I, I started feeling, again, an, a sense of empowerment. I'm, I can take care of myself. I don't have to go to a restaurant. You know, I was also living pretty much on an airplane, a restaurant, in, you know, in a um, hotel and wherever else I could find food. So I, was, I felt always very dependent. And also I was just not very satisfying what I was eating. And the healthy food was just so boring that I wanted to make it taste better. So that, that's kind of where the journey started. And, and I wanted to share everything it was so exciting to me. I was like, God, this feels so good. Everyone should know. Yes. And through sharing, I got great feedback. And obviously, you know, there's, there's plenty of people that want to hear and other people are not ready or able or willing. And that's fine. And so I, I kept sharing it. Um, and I, I wanted to, I'm, I love goals, setting goals. I call myself a goal digger. Mm-hmm. And um, I just thrive on you know, like knowing where what I'm doing and where I'm doing it for. So I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a cookbook. And uh, it was very interesting for someone that has actually never thrived in the kitchen, has never you know, been a good chef. Uh, but I was like, this is the challenge I want to take on. Right. And and so I did. <laughs> it didn't happen quite you know, overnight. You know, it happened um, you know throughout many years. Actually, from the very first moment that the the cookbook was um, taken on by an agent and it was pitched to the big publishing houses, to the moment that it actually got published last year in 2019, the book is called Models to Eat. Um, it was um, seven years to be exact. It makes sense. I know. I know how it goes, girl. I'm with yes. you. <laughs> and, and, you know, I love the journey because um, what happened, and this is an important part of why I want to share this, because I got rejected the first time around um, and the rejections were fucking fantastic. They said, Jill, we love what you do. We love the message that you want to share, but you're not an expert in the field. And so we want you to become an expert in the field. So do whatever, to, do whatever it takes and you need more followers. And so that's, you know, always a bit tricky because you're not in uh, full control over that. But, you know, the education part, I was like, yeah, I get it. I'll take it. So I started studying to become a health coach. And I really just wanted to become a health coach because of um, publishing the book. I I didn't really care for anything else. I just wanted to book out the book out. The message needs to be out there, guys. (laughs) I wanted to help. I wanted to, you know, really... And get the words and the message out. It was just so, I was so passionate about it and still am. So during this course, I started, they started telling me after six months, you should, you know, this is the time to go out and tell the public that you are a health coach. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I, I'm not going to be a health coach. But at the same time, I was like, eh, it can't really harm you know, I have to report back and do my homework. So let me just go ahead and do it. So I did pitched my first client in a very random place in the, in a dry cleaner place. And she was um, behind the counter and she became my very first client. I started working with her and I was very nervous working with her. Luckily it was on the phone the first few times. And uh, Mm -hmm. so I could sweat and turn red and, you know, just kind of pretend I'm, you know, I'm good, but I was really nervous because what, what, who am I to help her? That's always the question I think we have when we start a new career, especially when you're of service and when you're dealing with people's emotions and lives and big decisions that they're making and small decisions, but it definitely was, uh, was scary. Then I, I realized that the conversations that we had 
um, were actually not that different than the conversations that I had with my friends. So I kind of became a new, you know, a new best friend of my client. And yeah. I, I listened well and I asked a lot of questions and that's what we learn, you know, as, as coaches to do. And she made such great progress and she turned around her life in so many ways that it just filled my heart. And she stayed with me for a year and in that, in the next coming years, I helped hundreds of others. And it was just like, okay, this is my calling. I finally found it because modeling was kind of like my ticket out to a small, boring little village in Holland. And I grabbed it with both hands. I'm like, yes, please. I want adventure. <laughs> I want to do something with mm. my life. And, um, but it's, you know, and obviously I, I'm very grateful for a lot of the experiences I've had, but it's hard work. It's a tough world. And after, you know, so many years, I was really, really wanting to find that one thing that was my next thing, that was my passion, that was truly more me than, than modeling ever was. And so I found it, it was health coaching. And then because um, health coaching was kind of new back then, people thought I was a trainer, a personal trainer or, you know, a fitness trainer. I'm like, well, mm -hmm. you know what? I'll add it on too. Why not? I like fitness. I've always, I always love being active. And so that's kind of how this career started. It's a pretty incredible story. And, you know, you're not alone in that journey. And I think a lot of us came up around the same time where back then talking about alkaline versus acidic was weird. Drinking the green juice was weird. Yeah. Um, drinking the apple cider vinegar was strange. What's a health coach? Um, your the book, the 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 fact that you couldn't get a book deal because of the fact that you didn't have a, a degree or PhD. Now they're just like, oh, you have a platform, you have followers, here's a book deal, right? Everything has changed, but you're on the forefront of this. So it really is fascinating to witness the journey of so many of us who are like, we're gonna help people, we're gonna get them healthy. And everyone's like, no, you're not. And we're like, yes. Yes, we are. And we did. So I love that story. Um, and let's go back to your transformation and what you teach your clients now or your followers on Instagram now, because I know that you, like me, are all about intuitive eating and alkalizing the body. So what are some tips that we can start incorporating right now? You know, it is a time like no other. We've never lived in a time like 2020. So I would love to hear some tips for staying healthy in 2020 and just up-leveling our health. All right. Wonderful. Good, good, always a good question, you know, like, and it's just nice to be reminded of certain things. Um, let me, let me touch down on three things. First thing is motivation. Like we're, we're trying to look for motivation day to day. Like, okay, we need motivation to move our bodies. We need to feel motivated to eat well. Luckily these two work together. Like if you haven't noticed yet, but like, I'm sure you, you know, Ali, that when you exercise, you're not going to just eat junk food or something, you know, shitty right after because you worked hard and you're right. like, okay, let me replenish with something healthy and that's going to make me feel good. So when you exercise, it actually really helps with your dietary choices. So that's, that's really big one. But I also got to tell you, motivation comes and goes, right? Some weeks you may be on fire, some weeks or days you may not feel like doing anything at all. So what right. I always say, it's not about motivation, it's about habits. And for, it depends if you know, if you have a very like stuck, like uh, more nine to five schedule, then you know, you want to schedule it in. Um, also for the entrepreneurs and the ones that don't have like a nine to five job, um, if you don't schedule it in, it's most likely not going to happen, the exercise part, right? 
So and true. So, like schedule in your self-care. Yeah, <laughs> Especially exactly. Especially for very driven, very busy people and entrepreneurs, as you said, anyone who is just a hustler, it's like schedule it in or it's not going to happen. Absolutely. Because there's always more to do. And then there's, you know, other things that really don't have the priority, but all of a sudden have priority over exercising that can be doing the laundry and, you know, you're very busy. All of a sudden you can't do, you know, the exercise anymore. So it really is not about motivation. Please just do it. As soon as you do it, you're, you're golden because showing up is a 50% of the actual workout. Then number two, I would say for, I hear my clients say, well, you know, like I really want to eat less sugar. Sugar is so addictive. I want to drink less of less Frappuccinos. I want to, uh, also, uh, drink less alcohol, but it's so hard. What do I do? I said, well, you so know what? So hard in 2022. <laughs> Absolutely. And we feel like we we kind of need it and it's a treat and, you know, we got to be kind to ourselves. At the same time, it's not super kind to give yourself things that are not good for you. At this, But also, I am I am not a foods not to, you know, I love food and I love my bread and my cheese. And I definitely feel like we should indulge at times, but there's times to do it as long as it's not every day. Because if you buy the Frappuccino every day, and if you indulge in alcohol every day, and if you have the, you know, whatever it is that you love every day, it becomes, actually it becomes a habit and not a treat anymore. (laughs) So now right. we're, you know, when we're talking about motivation habits, now we're telling, okay, let's break down this habit. And one way to do it, if you want to stop eating uh, sweets after dinner, for example, is to brush your teeth because nothing tastes good anymore after you brush your teeth. Alcohol yes, is going to taste floss. yucky, right? Yes. Yeah. Alcohol is not going to taste good. Any, you know, any dessert is just like, yeah. And you, you, it's almost like you're telling your brain, we're done. You know, this is it. You know, you, you may only brush your teeth before you go to bed normally. Just bring it back a couple hours. Right after dinner, mm-hmm. you brush your teeth and the brain is just like agreeing that we're done eating. Yeah. And I think it sends a signal. Like the brain is literally like, oh, okay. So it's going to stop sending you those hunger signals or those, you know, cravings. Yeah. Yeah. So true. All right, you may remember a few weeks ago I was talking about Everlywell, and they are the company that makes at-home lab testing super easy. So I got my test, I sent it back, and I will let you know as soon as I receive the results. But I'm so excited to get them, and I just love how Everlywell really takes a positive outlook on our health. So, you know, you get the information that you can use, that you need. Everlywell offers over 30 at-home lab tests, like food sensitivity, thyroid health, B vitamins, STD, heart health, indoor and outdoor allergies, metabolism, women's health, testosterone tests, and more. Each Everly Well test comes with super easy to follow instructions. Every test is reviewed by a physician and the shipping is free. And I love that the results are reviewed by a board certified physician. Then they're sent directly to you digitally within just days. You can even share them with your healthcare providers. You can customize a plan with them, right? Your results are personalized and easy to understand so you know exactly what they mean for you. So whenever I find out something about myself, I've done 
done this many times throughout my life. I discover a food allergy or food sensitivity. My way of healing it is I opt out of the foods for a while. I heal my gut. I take my extra, whatever it is I need to take, like probiotics or healing vitamins, balance my body back, and usually the sensitivity goes away. So I'm really excited to get my results and I will make some changes, right? And if you want to start better understanding your health, check out Everly Well today. For 20% off an Everly Well at-home lab test, visit everlywell.com slash foodheals. Enter code foodheals. Again, everly, E-V-E-R-L-Y, W-E-L-L, dot com slash foodheals. Code foodheals for 20% off your test. Everly Well at-home lab test, your answers your way. All right, well, the number three, I would say... Calorie counting messed me up. Now, I'm not saying that calorie counting is not good. I'm just saying don't get obsessed about it and tune in more. And I would say it's all about the the right calories. So make sure you eat well. And then if you eat well, and that means the nutrient-dense food, food with a lot of nutrients and like vitamins, and that's that is gonna fill you up that you don't even need more. So if you have a nice meal, you're not gonna feel more hungry after that. But if you eat the you know the diet products or the junk food, it makes you hungry again and over and over because it's just not nutritionally uh, dense. And so I would say if you if you calorie count stop obsessing about it or stop it at all. If you are interested and just kind of, you know, use your app. Like I know a lot of my clients love their app and they just kind of my, like I think it's my fitness pal. They just, you know, put it in. If it makes you aware of what you eat and makes you eat better, then I would say, yes, go for it. But uh, you know, the person that you are, if you're getting obsessed then stop obsessing over it because it's not going to help you. If you feel like, Hey, you know what? It makes me eat less treats because I'm way more aware. Now I have to write everything down. And then you say, okay, go for it. Yes. I do actually like the writing part. I've never been a calorie counter. It's just never been something that's appealed to me, or maybe I just didn't know how to do it. Um, But the thing, the biggest shift I think for a lot of people is when you do switch from a lot of times those supposedly low calorie, low carb, low sugar, or no calorie, no carb, no sugar foods. Because when you switch to the full calorie food, you actually get the nutrition you need. So you're fuller longer, you're not snacking as much. So it's such a myth. Like Diet Coke could not be more garbage than Coke. You know what I mean? It's like the diet foods. And I feel like we know this now, but apparently we don't because people, you still see all the labels and there's always a new trend. Like right now, it's definitely gluten-free. And now look, I'm not saying eat all the gluten, but I'm just saying if something is taken out, what has it been replaced with? And is that better or worse than the thing that you've taken out? That's so true. I always say, don't look at the front of the packaging of what is not in there. Look at the back and see what's in there. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Because the marketeers will put everything that you want to hear and how you're going to make your decision on the very front. But once you look at the back, you're like, hmm. Why is there three different different sweeteners in there? Because nowadays they don't put, you know, you have to always put the the main ingredient first. Now, right. if you see sugar first, you say, oh, I'm not going to buy that. So they're smart. They divide it up in three or four different sweeteners. And so, you know, if you divide it, it won't be on n- number one, two, or three. It will be like far down the list. And that's when you think, you know what, this is good for me. But no, altogether, it's the same amount of sugar. It's just, you know, different kinds. 
That's really a good point. Thank you for bringing that up. So what are some sugar alternatives that you would look for and be like, you know what? No. Like, because yeah, no one's going to put sugar as the number one ingredient. And now because health, wellness, organic, vegan, um, plant-based, all the things are so popular, more and more companies are doing it, which is like diminishing the quality of the brand. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so what are some things we should look out for on labels that kind of sound good, but mean nothing? Like for example, all natural means nothing. There's no governing body to tell you what all natural requirements are. Like what are some ingredients to look for that might sound good, but aren't so great? Well, when you think about sugar, I would say evaporated cane sugar. Mm -hmm. And then you have um, like the um what is good well the regular honey because if you if it's not raw it's and it's processed it's pretty much sugar again and there's no real health benefits to it so it could be real cheap honey and uh and then you know i always i'm you know i'm a bit careful about anything that is even in the the drops the stevias and uh, i personally don't like it my body does not respond well to it and it may make you also feel kind of out of it, like I literally can feel like it's, you know, it's in my system and, and it's registered as a chemical to me, even though it's not, it's still processed. Um, and so you may be sensitive to even some of the more, you know, like qualified, healthy um, sweeteners that are around and that you may not actually like when you really put it like in a glass of water and you would drink straight up. And I, you know, that's the way you can figure out if it actually works for you or not. Some people respond, you know, like very sense, like have a very sensitive response to it. Others don't. So I would always, um, I mean, I like to look at every ingredient at the same time, it can drive you crazy. Right. And so I, I love making my own cookies nowadays. I make my own bread. I make my own kombucha. And so, you know, you start enjoying the process of making the things that you love that are not exactly like how you want them on the market. And you go like, you know what? This is just more enjoyable. It's just all always fresh. I love myself. Like I, I like in my fridge, you'll find, and I have everything in my fridge because there's a lot of ants here in Hawaii. And so I have my raw honey, which I use for my tea. Um, and then I have uh, maple syrup, um, a really good quality one that I like to use for my oatmeal. So I think those are like my favorite sweeteners at this point. And um and then there's date syrup that is alkaline, which, you know, which is actually, uh, you know, it has a bit of a distinctive taste, um, a flavor to it. But I would say that is probably the best sweetener on the market because it's the, the only sugar or the only sweetener that is alkalizing. And that's what we were talking about earlier, how important it is. So if you feel like you need to, you know, like slow down on the sugar and find a good substitute, maybe look into date syrup. Awesome. And I love dates because they do give it a great, like I put them in my smoothies and they give it that great sweet taste without all of the, the, the reaction that I'll will, that I will get from agave or honey or any kind of sugar. Right. Yeah. Cause I can feel, I can feel the uplift and the crash. And so my body's always talking to me. Our bodies are always speaking to us and that's where it back, comes back to the intuitive eating. So it's like, okay, if you crash after a meal, what were you eating? And once you start keeping a journal, you can see, 
oh my gosh, every single time there was stevia here or whatever it might be yeah. um, that's causing that crash. And you can single out that food and go, okay, that doesn't work for my body. Hey, it might be fine for my friend over here who doesn't have a reaction. Their body doesn't treat it like a chemical, but you can experiment with yourself and figure it out. Um, and I don't think it takes that long. And if, if, you're, if you're not ready to go all out and do functional medicine testing where they test everything and you can get a comprehensive look into your health, you can really do this by yourself with the apps and with really good food journaling and keeping track of what you eat and not to obsess over it, just like you said, because this isn't like a weight loss thing or anything like that. It's really a health thing. And then the benefit of the health of doing it that way is that your whole body does get alkaline. You do lose weight. You start feeling more energetic. So instead of taking energy drinks and energy pills, you can do this all naturally. And I think that's such a misconception in our society and why everyone's like, oh, I need the Red Bull or, or whatever the energy thing is or the sugar um, or the coffee for the pick-me-up. And I drink lattes. I'm just saying, you know, we don't need to rely on these things and we can gain all these things naturally from just eating a really clean, delicious diet. You're right. You're absolutely right. I, I was um, going to the dealership here and there was a man at the register like and he um, you know, he was talking to me and he was like drinking this energy drink. And I was asking him what he was drinking exactly. He said, well, this is an extreme caffeine boost. <laughs> he said he was uh, it was four cups of coffee in one can. I'm like, mm. oh. Like, dude, what are you doing to yourself? Right. He's like, yeah, my adrenal glands are shut. I mean, he didn't quite know the terminology, but, you know, I could just hear how he was completely dependent on it. And um, the next time I went back, I said, dude, you got, you know, let's have a conversation about this. And so I gave him some ideas on how to get off of it. So you're going to ruin your body. You're, you're young still, but, you know, this is going to catch up with you. And don't, please don't get sick before you make these changes, you know, that are necessary to make. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad that you're out there spreading the message wherever you are. You know, it's like I talk to people too and not everyone wants to hear it, but sometimes people get curious and that's when I share. I was in Chicago and um, I was with some friends and we were meeting. Um, it was all food as medicine people. So it was amazing. And so I had brought my book to give to them and the waiter um, came up to my friend and said, I agree that food does heal because my food's called my book's called Food Heals. And he was like, well, this is the author. And he was like, oh my gosh, is it a vegan book? And I was like, yeah, it's it's about people who have healed their bodies by changing their nutrition. And many of them have vegan stories. He's like, I really want to go more vegan and go more plant-based, but I don't know where to start. And he's a little you know, out of shape, a little pudgy. And he's like, and I work at a steakhouse. So the temptation <laughs> is there. So I gave him a book and I said, start here. And I was like, email me and I'm happy, you know, to help you along this journey anytime. And I just love, I hope he emails me. I hope he listens. But it's like, if, if I can help anyone, one person out there in the world, like I, I've done my job for the day. So it's like, the best feeling. The and I'm, I'm so glad you gave him the invitation. Cause honestly, if he's going to email you back or not, like, um, or is going to take you up on your offer or not, you've planted a seed. And if he's going to do it now or in a year from now or in five years from now, like this conversation is registered. Exactly. Well, we're obviously on the same page about all the things. Jill, tell everyone where they can find you online, how they can stalk you on Instagram, how they can work with you as a client, all the good things. Well, I can be found on Instagram. That's underscore models do eat. And you can also listen to my podcast, Life Done Better. I respond to my direct messages. So if you want to work with me, you can um, send me a message there. 
Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. And it was a joy talking to you. Have you ever thought about your cellular health? No, me neither, right? Why would we? Because cells are the foundation of our health and make us who we are. And one of the most important building blocks of our cells is called NAD, which is vital for things like sleeping, breathing, eating, drinking, you know, only some of the most important stuff that we don't necessarily think about either. The bad news is that as we age, our bodies don't make NAD like they used to. So here's the good news. There is a way to boost your NAD levels thanks to True Niagen. True Niagen helps counteract the effects of time on your body by promoting cellular repair. It also helps with healthy aging by supporting cellular function and metabolism to maintain overall health and well-being. True Niagen can also help you increase your cellular energy. It replenishes the decline in NAD due to stressors like lack of sleep or overeating, so you can keep up with your active lifestyle. Taking True Niagen also helps with cellular defense in the face of stresses such as alcohol consumption or immune stress, which is a form of cellular stress. True Niagen has caught the attention of the scientific community with its remarkable ability to boost that NAD, and they have over 10 clinical studies to prove it. I'm so excited to be working with them. Give your cells a boost with True Niagen. Right now, customers can save $20 on a three-month supply by going to trueniagen.com slash foodheals. That is T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N dot com slash foodheals to save $20 on a three-month supply. TrueNiagen.com slash foodheals. And these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, which you know we say at the end of the show, but they wanted me to clarify it here. So TrueNiagen.com slash foodheals. Today's guests bonded over their shared traumas and their renewed appreciation for the value of life and service. Please welcome co-authors of The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, Harriet Tinka and Dr. Alan Leica. Well, thank you very much for having us. It's really a pleasure to be on your show. Yes, you bet. Thanks, Ali. I'm really excited to be here and share our stories. Yes, I really want to delve deep into your stories. You both have overcome incredible trauma, and you went on to write a book about it, which we'll get to. But let me, let's start with you, Dr. Leica. You suddenly developed a right foot drop, and you were misdiagnosed with ALS. Yeah, let me take take you back to that time. It was 2003. I was walking with my wife and my youngest daughter in Disney World, you know, one of the happiest places on earth. And my wife turned to me at the end of a hot, sticky day, and she said, what's wrong with you? I said, what do you mean? She said, what's wrong with you? It's like, I I didn't, for once in my life, Ellie, I hadn't said anything wrong. I hadn't done anything wrong. And I haven't even thunk anything wrong. So, (laughs) So I was taken aback by her statement. I said, what do you mean? She said, listen to your foot. Allie, that's a funny statement from anybody. And when mm-hmm. your wife says, listen to your foot, you're taken out of this planet into another world and said, I really don't have the faintest idea what you're talking about. Well, she said, well, listen to it. And my right foot had suddenly and mysteriously developed a foot drop. You know, your brain is programmed that with every step you take, your feet lift up with them. Well, my right foot was not lifting up. It was slapping on the pavement with each step I was taking. Mm -hmm. So she was right. Then she said, did you have a stroke? 
I, I said, dear, you're a doctor. I'm a doctor. This is not how strokes present. It's mm-hmm. not the way that it comes on. She said, well, something's wrong. When we get back, you better get it checked out. Now, you know when your wife tells you that or your husband tells you that, Ellie, you know you better listen, right? <laughs> so so I was a good boy, and I went to see probably hundreds of doctors, and they did every test known. They did CAT scans. They did brain scans. They did uh, scan scans. And you know what they found at the end of the day, Ellie? What? Absolutely nothing. Mm. And you know when doctors find absolutely nothing, what they do? They make something up? <laughs> no, they find they find more tests to do. They keep looking for answers. And they keep doing these tests. So I had a billion-dollar workup, at least. And at the end of that, I ended up on the doorstep of a world-leading neurologist. And this neurologist said, you know, you better be sitting down when I tell you this. I said, why? I have a dropped right foot. He said, no, you don't. You have ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Get your affairs in order. In six months, you're going to be dead. Wow, that was quite an introduction to this doctor. So I, I, I asked him, is there a way to prove this diagnosis? And he said, of course, on autopsy. Oh my God, this is really harsh. You know, I, I thought I had uh, an interview with Dr. House on TV, you know, the person with no bedside manner that yeah. really couldn't. It would, and, and so I shot back, I'm not going to die to prove you wrong. Oh, I love that. So, yeah, but you know, when you go through this, Ellie, when you go through a period of loss, you go through a grief reaction right. and, and a grief reaction consists of a couple of things. And it was written in the book by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross on death and dying. And you go through a phase where you go through denial. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's nothing wrong. I'm going to keep going and doing everything I can. You go through depression. That's the worst because every day you don't want to get out of bed. The world's black. You go through these phases that that you just can't do anything. What's the point? You're going to die anyhow. You go through bargaining. Uh, you know, oh God, please don't let this happen. And I'll do anything if you don't let this happen. You know, but Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's last phase was acceptance. Mm. Well, I wasn't going to accept something because I knew there was probably something else I had. How did I know that? Well, you know, I'm a doctor. And doctors don't always know everything, despite what people think. You know, when something is wrong, we usually give it our best guess. Even though this doctor was convinced I had this disease, I I went to my wife and I said to her, you know, what do you think I have? And she said, I don't have the faintest idea. She said, but you're smart. You can figure it out. (laughs) Well, nice vote of confidence. I like that. So back in 2003, Ellie, there was this brand new whiz-bang thing that was invented. You might have heard about it. It's called the internet. (laughs) Never heard of it. You never heard of it, except you live on it probably 24 hours a day with your cell phone and everything else now. I don't know what you mean. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. 
Well, back in 2003, it was just invented. Mm -hmm. And the only way you could get onto it was with dial-on connections. That means your phone had to contact another phone, and it would go for 15 or 20 minutes before it connected. Right. And then it connected. You got onto a site, and you basically had to go from site to site. There was no search engines back then. There was no Dr. Google. There was no AOL. There was no Yahoo. There was none of this. So you had to know how to find sites that you wanted. And you had to get on the internet with a, a language called DOS because mm -hmm. our computers had so little memory back then, we couldn't even do anything. So you had to be really whiz-bag at doing that. Well, fortunately, I had friends that were nerds. They knew how to do this. And I found the story of a doctor in Colorado Springs, Colorado, by the name of David Martz. Now, David was miraculous, but he was really interesting because he had a story very similar to mine, but he got worse much more rapidly. Mm. And he was on his deathbed within six months of having his diagnosis. So I, I thought, you know, this guy is interesting. Maybe he's got some answers. So I, I called him and his story was even more fascinating when I talked to him. His story was that he was dying and a doctor from Texas came up to see him. Mm -hmm. And the doctor from Texas looked at David and he said, David, I don't think you have ALS. David said, what do I have? The doctor from Texas said, well, I, I think you have something called chronic Lyme's disease. You know, you live in Colorado. There's lots of ticks around. I think you're a bit by a tick, and it's causing a disease that looks like ALS, but it's not ALS. Wow. Well, the doctor from Texas said, just listen to me. I will put you on treatment, and if I'm right, you will get better. Well, David said, what do I have to lose? I'm dying. Right. Right? What do I have to lose? I'll be your guinea pig. Well, guess what? He started him on a treatment, and like Lazarus, he arose from the dead. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So when I called David, he was at, the, uh, at one of the hospitals in Colorado Springs, and, and I knew that I had to really get to know him more. And he said, can you come down and see me? And I said, when? He said, right now. I, I said, David, this is our Thanksgiving weekend. My mm -hmm. wife is having 50 people over. And he said, aren't there any planes in Canada? <laughs> I said, maybe one or two. So I go to my wife and I apologize. And she said, well, there's nothing to apologize for. You must go down. If there's something that will make you better, I think I can take care of 50 people. Good. So, so I got on a plane from Edmonton to Denver. It was a great flight, wonderful flight, uh, about three hours long. But then I got on a plane from Denver to Colorado Springs. It was a flight 50 minutes long. But you know, at the end of the day, air comes off the desert and creates eddies. And eddies means turbulence. Mm -hmm. Now, this was like turbulence I had never seen before. The plane would climb and then it would drop 100 feet. Oh, my God. Then it would climb again and drop 200 feet. I then can't. it would climb again and drop 300 feet. So it was like the drop of doom at Disneyland over and over and over again. 
Oh, this is horrifying. Well, so when I got off the plane, I got off and I was green. And, you know, there was David on the tarmac to meet me. This oh. was 2003. Back then, they didn't have the high security precautions they have now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was wonderful. He, we talked for hours and he said some magic words. I think history is repeating itself. And he started me on treatment and I was able to maintain my status as a top cosmetic doctor for over 30 years. So that was 30 years ago? That was about, well, it was 2003 till now. So 17 years ago, I was a top cosmetic doctor for 30 years until I walked away last year. Wow, that's incredible. But you know, when you go through this, you start to think, how can I live better? How can I give back? How can I do things in a better way? And that's when I met Harriet. And it was an interesting story of how I met her. So I'm going to turn the floor over to her. I do have one question before we get to that. Um, what was the treatment for Lyme that you went through? You know, the treatment for Lyme's disease is always evolving. And the treatments I started on then were very were a treatment with a with a blood infusion product called IVIG which helped to settle down the inflammation that was going on. And I was also given very, very large dose vitamin C back that, that really helped to get it better. But now I'm on a different treatment. There is a treatment called disulfuram that's been working really, really well for a lot of people with Lyme's disease. And I really would recommend anybody that has Lyme's disease or what might be Lyme's disease to see a doctor that's knowledgeable about Lyme's because there's a lot of charlatans out there and I really think they have to, to seek out the proper doctor for the treatment of this. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for letting us know. And yeah, high dose vitamin C intravenously has been a treatment for a lot of things. I know we were doing it for Charlotte when she, my, my beagle, my dog, she was getting intravenous vitamin C to shrink her tumors. And it was absolutely gave her an extra two years of life. So I'm a definite fan of that. Well, there, I am a big fan of it. it. It's something that's gone on for a long time. It's a bit hard to use, but the answer is it did give me time. It was able to get me to the more modern treatments that are out there. And without that, I wouldn't be here now. Well, I'm so glad you're here to share this story. And Harriet, I'm so glad you you are here as well. And so I want to get to how you guys met. But first, we've got to go through Harriet, you have quite a story. You were stabbed and kidnapped and left for dead. Um, can you take us through what happened to you and how you now help people, you know, go from tragic to magic? <laughs> you bet. I'm happy to share my story. And uh, even today, it's still surreal for me to believe that I'm a domestic violence survivor. Here I was an international model walking the runways. I was so full of confidence, yet I was a victim of a stalker. So my story really begins when I just retired from the modeling industry and I decided I wanted to, to have a formal education. I went and I enrolled into the university and it was at the university that I befriended a fellow student and I had absolutely no idea that his attraction to me was a psychological trap that was disguised as love and would later on become deadly. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was uh, and I was your typical 
victim of domestic violence. I was young, I was naive, and I had absolutely no idea of the clues or signs of an abusive relationship. Can you tell me what some of those clues and signs are? Well, some of the clues are if you if he hits you, if he disrespects you, that's a red flag right there. Anything that is disempowering, that's a red flag that you should not be in that relationship. Was he gaslighting you and making you feel crazy? Oh, he he did. He would always uh he would yell and scream, hit me, but then he would apologize, mm. and then he would say, "I'm sorry, I don't know what happened to me. I was just in a bad situation. I'm sorry." So that right there, I f- I felt okay. He he apologized, so that means it's okay. That means he loves me. He right? loves me exactly, oh. and uh and uh, when you're when you're going through a domestic violence situation, most people say, why didn't you leave? But usually there's usually two reasons. Number one is fear. You feel like you can't be alone without him. Or if it's a person who is in a relationship with children, you feel financially you, can't, you cannot afford to be by yourself. So that's mm-hmm. number one is fear. Number two is your self-esteem because you feel that nobody, you can't have anything better than what you have. And I bet they're making you, you're, they're, they're, they're creating that feeling within you as well and making you feel that way. Oh, they do. Yeah. They keep telling you, you know, I'm the only man who can love you. You will never find anybody who's going to give you this unconditional love. And that's oh. what he constantly said to me. So you begin to believe it. So he kept that saying sense. that. And the relationship was so abusive to the point that I couldn't take it any anymore. So I decided to go to the police and see what I could do. Now, the police said there's absolutely nothing they can do because nothing had happened. That is unacceptable, but I hear this all the time. It's so wrong. Yeah, they say nothing has happened. It's just your word against him. So you can't do anything. But the only thing they could offer was a restraining order, which Mm -hmm. is a piece of document which basically stops the stalker from coming any close to you. So when they said that to me, I said, okay, I'll take the restraining order. And when I took it, I felt comfortable that he would never come near me. So it was one night I was busy at the university studying, getting ready for my project that was due in a few days. And I looked at the time and it was getting a bit late. So I said, oh, I better go home and get some rest for the following day. So I took my bag. I walked into my apartment building. It was only like a few minutes away from the university. And I got into the elevator. And I was busy looking for my keys. I wasn't really paying attention to my surrounding. And as I got into the elevator, I felt somebody squishing my neck. And I had a voice that was very familiar. And it was him. And he said to me, how dare you get this restraining order against me? Don't you know that I am the only man who ever loved you? Oh, my God. And he kept saying how much his love for me was unconditional and I started to scream, so he got quite quite scared. So he took quickly took his shoes off and took his socks off and turned it into a little ball and stuffed it into my mouth to silence me. Oh my me. god! Yeah, it was disgusting. Ugh. And I'm trying to scream, but I can't. I feel like gagging. So he pulled me out of the elevator and threw me into his vehicle, and he was hitting me and screaming and saying all the most disrespectful things to me. And he says, "How dare you!" break our relationship and we kept driving and driving and as we're driving we ran into a a telephone booth and he looked at the telephone booth and neither one of us had cell phones so he said to me you need to get out of the vehicle 
and go call your parents and say goodbye to them. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, because he said, this is the last time that they'll ever hear from you. And I looked at him and I said, no. And he got so angry. How dare I say no to him? So he said, okay, Harriet, I'm going to say this one more time. In the back of my car, I have a knife, a rope, and gasoline. I am going to wrap your body up with a rope, cut your body in pieces, and put gasoline all over your body. Now are you going to call them? What a and I looked psycho. at him again. I said, no. And that made him even more angry. So he reached over my shoulder and went into the glove compartment, took, off, took a knife out of the glove compartment, and he stabbed me two times deep into my leg and there was mm. blood gushing everywhere all over the windshield mm. and uh, even today I still have absolutely no idea how I got from that point in time where I was in the vehicle to the hospital because when I woke up there was my father and the doctor in the room and in the waiting room there was media and there was police oh so the doctor gosh. told my my dad that the stab wound was so deep my bone was chipped and he said, chances are I might not ever walk again. Or if I do, it might be really, really difficult. So when I had the news, I was absolutely shocked. Not too long ago, I was an international model walking the runway full of confidence. And now I was depressed and I was a cripple. And the only thing that separated my confidence and my, and my depression was my trauma. So I decided, I, I started feeling sorry for myself, saying, why me? How could this happen? I'm a great person. You know, you start having that internal dialogue. And I realized that's going to, it did me no good. I needed to start healing. So as I did what the doctor had recommended, I started to have to go for physio. And it was one afternoon, I was in the waiting room, waiting to go get my physio. And a little girl came wheeling in so full of energy and she was so mm. happy but I was in that mood where I do not want to talk to anybody just go away keep going keep going but no she stopped and she started talking to me and I gave her one or one answer to her question so that she would leave me alone but she didn't she was so tenacious she kept asking and asking and asking me why I was there so eventually I shared the story in a version that a nine-year-old could understand. Right. Oh, because wow. she was so curious. And she listened to my story and she was like, oh my goodness, wow, you should share your story with the world. And I thought to myself, she's nine years old. Where is she getting all this wisdom? Yeah, right. And it didn't make any sense. So when I started talking to her, I told her, how, where, what's going on with you? So she said in her family, what they did, it was really traditional and a ritual really to have stories. They would always sit around and they would share stories and they'll say, hey, this is a great story. You should share it with the world. So to her, she was just giving me the same advice she was getting from her family. Aww. And I asked her why she was in a wheelchair, what had happened. So she told me that there had been a car accident. Unfortunately, she, she was on her way to a, a dance recital with her parents, but there was a head-on collision and the, the driver hit their vehicle and both her parents had died. So now oh. she was motherless, fatherless and homeless. And yet she still exuded so much gratitude. And I looked at her and I thought to myself, wow, my story is nothing compared to her. Wow. But I thought 
really life is not about comparing stories. It's really about what you do with what happens to you. So when she told me that I didn't really, it was just like she planted a seed in my, in my system. It didn't really, I didn't, I wasn't ready to act. It was later on when I started healing and I got better and I decided to open up my own business called Empowered Me, which is about empowering young women to be the truest version of themselves. And I started helping young women and people who were affected by domestic violence. And Dr. Laika being, is a big philanthropist in the community. He sponsors so many events, but one of the ones that he sponsored is called the YWCA Women of Distinction. Mm-hmm. And this is such a great event. It will happen every year. And it was a recognition of women in the community who had made a difference. Those trailblazers, those scientists, those astronauts, those women who are given, given back to the community. So there's different categories. So for me, I was quite honored that I was nominated in the category called Turning Point. So what mm. that category was, it was basically what you had done with your own life to give back to the community to make a difference. And for me, it was with my business. There was, uh, I think, about 15 women in that category something like that. But out of those women, and it was, first of all, it was an honor to be nominated to begin with, but being the recipient in that category was even more honorable. I felt so honored. And at the end, after the event, I got the opportunity to meet Dr. Laika, who was a big sponsor for the event. I was super excited. And I asked him if he could join me for lunch. I often remind him that I did pay for his lunch. <laughs> that you paid for lunch? Yes, don't forget that one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we uh, we started uh, having a dialogue. We met for lunch, and it, it was uh, then that we, we decided that perhaps one day we should write a book. And that was about six years ago. And here we are. We wrote the book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, with 13 golden pearls that we've discovered. I love it so much. And what a story. Okay. I have some follow-up questions before we go into the book. So you don't remember how you got from the car to the hospital. Do you think he took you? Do you think he felt guilty? What happened to him? Oh, he got about, um, he was given three months, but in the end, he only ended up serving one month in jail. Oh, Harry, you need to back up a bit and and tell him how you got to the hospital. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he got three months, but how I got to the hospital is I still don't remember, but I was, they found me in front of the ER. So they think that he drove me to the hospital. Wow. Because they found me in front of the ER and I was taken into the hospital, the emergency. So it was still unknown. So it's still, and have you ever, and he's never confirmed whether he did that? I never really talked to him. The only time I met him was during the case. I saw him and his mother and his mother blamed me for everything. She said it was my fault that his son did what he did to me. And I was wow. like, I never spoke to him. I've never well, seen Well, this is him where since. it comes from. If his mother is that insane, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't see anything. There was no remorse at all. Wow. And so, but he only served a month in jail. Is this guy still out there? How do we protect women from this guy? <laughs> I, I've never really looked up, looked to see where he is. I'm sure he's a Facebook or something. But as far as I know, he was, he moved to uh, a different, I was told he moved to Ontario, which is about, uh, by flight is about five hours from where I am. 
This is a miscarriage of justice if I've ever heard one. This guy mm-hmm. should be rotting in jail. Yeah, he never did. That's the system. Right. But I decided to use my story to make a difference. But I, I think in all this, you know, moving onward from something like this, Harriet's mm-hmm. found an even more important value from this. And that's covered in one of our very important pearls. And that's the power of forgiveness. You see, if if a snake bites you, you don't die because the snake bit you. It's because the venom that keeps going on in your body and, and that venom keeps going on and it causes problems. You know, Harriet did something that was so remarkable in all this and something that I did with the doctor that misdiagnosed me was to forgive him for his ignorance and, and his and his stupidity and the way he treated me. But Harriet took a step out of our book and and really made something really powerful here. And that's forgiveness. And maybe Harriet, you could talk a little bit about that pearl for a minute, because I think that's really germane to this. Oh, you bet. Forgiveness is one of my favorite, one of my favorite golden pearls. And we're not born with the ability to forgive, but we're born with the ability to hate. And hate is a natural human emotion. And if you look it up, the definition of hate is really an intense or passionate dislike for someone. And when people usually say, I don't want to hate, what they mean is I don't want to be angry because anger is reactive, it's hostile, it's lack of self-control. So we use, usually we use hate to protect what we love. So for me, what I had to do, like you can say, I hate cancer because it hurts my father, he's suffering. I had to use a three-step method to learn how to forgive. So number one, I said, I had to write down the reason why I hate. I said, I hate my attacker because he put me in the hospital. I hate my attacker because he put a scar on my leg. So that's step number one, owning it. And then number two, take the second sentence and turn it into love. I hate my attacker because I love being healthy. I hate my attacker because I love my perfect imperfections. And then number three, get rid of the hate. It's doing you no good and focus on the love. I love being healthy. I love my perfect imperfection. I love my family support. So now it turns into a love journal. And all you focus is in getting better and you forget about the person who hurt you because forgiveness is really forgiving is for yourself and not for the other person. Exactly. What a beautiful reframe. I always say, for me, what happened is forgiveness was what opened the door for me to have freedom. And when we hold something against someone else, it's not affecting them, it's affecting us, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to let that go in order to experience that freedom from it. And I know for me, I went through my trauma of losing both of my parents to cancer, and I had to do so much forgiveness, you guys. I had to forgive the doctors, you know, for not knowing how to treat them and not knowing better. I had to forgive them for leaving me. You know, there was all this abandonment stuff that I don't like, you don't even realize you're holding on to until you delve deep into that. But then Mm. when you get to that forgiveness place, you can go back to peace. And I think that's what we're all striving for is, is that peace, is that love, is that self-love and love and gratitude for the world. Just like that nine-year-old who you met, who showed you what was possible, you know, Mm. You don't have to end up bitter and angry and hating the world. What were you going to say? You know, Marianne Williamson uh, is one of the quotes from our book, and, and she goes through something really important here. And she said, you know, forgiveness is not always easy. At times, it feels more painful than the wound we suffered. 
to forgive the ones that inflicted it. And yet yeah. there is no peace without forgiveness. And that's what I'd like to drag everybody into our book with is that we've got over 150 quotes from people that are authorities in the areas so that that helps to to really take the little seed that we planted and really even germinate it into a bigger thing. And And I think forgiveness is one of those important principles, one of those golden pearls we have in our book. And I, I think those golden pearls are really important at this point to really point out what we can do here. Yeah, absolutely. I love Marianne Williamson. And, you know, that quote gives me chills because I think for me, when I found food, I was like, well, food will heal me. Food will heal my body. And it did. But I was still missing that emotional, mental component. And then I had to learn, oh, like you started when we started this podcast, you were talking about the stages of grief, right? Um, From on death and dying. I didn't know there were stages of grief. I didn't know that by holding on to things, I was damaging my own body. And so I had to learn that. And so once we learn that, it really does open up so many possibilities for us. So we can really use our stories and our traumas to give back to the world, which is exactly what you guys are doing. I'm constantly looking for the best cleanest, most organic, delicious nutrition to help me stay healthy and active and feeling good. And it can be hard because sometimes there's ingredients that you don't want. Or for me, I'm plant-based, so I want to make sure that there's no collagen or any plant um, animal-derived ingredients. So that's why I'm really happy that I found Orgain. It is totally a game changer. It has all kinds of different organic products to fit your active lifestyle, like nutritional shakes, protein powders, meal powders, bars, even almond milk. Orgain products are food-based and full of organic vitamins and minerals that taste really delicious and provide maximum nutrition. Now, I like the vanilla. It's really good. But I'm going to go with my favorite, which I'm turning around right now so I can read it out loud to you. The plant-based protein powder is the creamy chocolate fudge. Six grams of organic fiber, 21 grams of protein, four grams net carbs, soy-free, gluten-free, non-GMO, vegan, and delicious. And I love that Orgain promises never to use unnecessary fillers, no artificial ingredients, no preservatives, no GMOs. They're just all about good, clean nutrition, which is how it should be. Plus, Orgain ships right to your door. You can set up recurring deliveries and get your favorite products delivered for free. So thanks to Orgain, I finally found the best clean product to help me stay healthy and maximize nutrition. Right now, you can save 20% off your first order. Plus, if you subscribe, you get to save even more. I love my subscriptions. I subscribe to everything. Go to tryorgain.com slash foodheals. That's T-R-Y-O-R-G-A-I-N.com slash foodheals for 20% off your first order. Plus, again, extra savings when you subscribe. Tryorgain.com slash foodheals. You know, uh, Ali, golden pearls actually exist in this world. They're actually mm-hmm. physical things. And, and But the problem is they only exist in the southern Philippine areas and, and the Indonesian areas. But do you know what forms a pearl inside of an oyster? I don't think I do, no. Well, it, it, a little grain of sand gets inside of the shell of the oyster. And it traumatizes the oyster. Now, the oyster doesn't spit it out. It doesn't get angry. It does What it does, it walls it off with this beautiful material called luster. And only certain pearls can do that. They make these beautiful pearls. And a single solitary pearl can cost upwards of $10,000. 
Now, when we were thinking of how we can really bring our thoughts to the forefront, Harriet became obsessed with pearls. She told me how obsessed she was with pearls. And, you know, and, and that's where we came to the idea of having these golden pearls on it. Tell us about the golden pearls a little bit more, Harriet. <laughs> you bet. I've, I've always been obsessed with golden pearls ever since I was a little girl. So when we talked about, in fact, Dr. Laika said we should call it golden nuggets. And uh -huh. I said, mm, that sounds like food. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it just didn't sound very, very empowering. So we said golden pearls is the way to go. And golden pearls, the way Dr. Laika shared is it's about suffering. Suffering is a fire that purifies and straighten, straightens you. It's like steel and diamond and gold. They're all, they all form beautifully from that intense heat of the earth. And we, we just see pain as a teacher teaching us to appreciate happiness. Yeah, see pain as the teacher. I think that's really, really well said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so 13 golden pearls. We've got one. That's forgiveness. What are some other secrets that you can divulge for us? Well, I'm going to get Harriet to tell us her favorite pearl right now. <laughs> other than the for forgiveness, I like to share the one of my favorite is Ikigai. I mean, purpose. <laughs> that's, let me rewind. Purpose, uh, intention, purpose, which is a... Uh, uh, one of you our know, you're running five. too fast today. You're running that ultra marathon in your head. I know. <laughs> I'm on a roll. I'm excitable. <laughs> too much, too much water. Yeah. So one of our golden pearls is uh, golden pearl number five: intentional purpose. So in the book, uh, we do we do use uh, ikigai, which is the reason for being. And Dolly Parton really says it very well. She says everybody has a purpose. Now, when we talk about the, the intention, the purpose, we, you have to ask yourself four very important questions. Number one is, what is it that you love to do? And when you're trying to find out what you love to do, maybe you love playing soccer. It doesn't necessarily mean you want to be a soccer player, but it could be maybe you're looking for a career that has that, that team focus, that competitiveness, or maybe you love the art gallery. It doesn't mean you want to be an artist. Perhaps you want a career in creativity. So that's number one. What is it that you love to do? Number two, what is it that you're good at? It could be maybe you're good at listening. It could be a pod podcast host or you could be a psychologist. <laughs> or like me, you could be an accountant if you love numbers. So that's number two question when you're trying to find your ikigai. And then number three, what does the world need? What does your community need? Especially now with COVID, there's everybody's in isolation. There must be a gap out there, something that we all, some that the community needs. And then the yeah. very last one, what is it that you can do and get paid for it? Your passion. Mm. So those yes. are the four things that you ask of yourself when you're trying to find Ikigai. And I'm not sure if I said what Ikigai means. It's a Japanese word for reason for being. So four questions. What is it that you love to do? What are you good at? What does the community need and what is it that you can do and get paid for? And for your audience, if they just, I always recommend to do a part-time Ikigai, which is just do the first two things. What is it that you love to do and what are you good at? So if you start doing that on a part-time base, you really will find your Ikigai, your reason for being. You are speaking my language. So I run a mastermind for wellness entrepreneurs. I'm going to have to teach them this tonight on our call. I'm so oh, excited. Oh, Thank that's you awesome. That. You're yeah. welcome. <laughs> Perfect. You're welcome.
There we go. And I'm going to jump in with laughter. I, I think laughter is is one of the most important golden pearls because nothing works faster or more consistently to bring your mind and body back into balance than a good laugh. Humor lightens your burdens. It gives you hope. It connects you to others. It keeps you grounded, alert, and focused. And did you know that 91% of executives believe a sense of humor is important for career development? Cool. I agree. I'm with them. <laughs> well, and do you know that scientists have actually studied the funniest joke in the world, Ellie? What is it? Well, Richard Wiseman took all the jokes in the world and he had everybody write them. And he came up with the funniest joke. Do you want to hear it? Obviously. Obviously. I brought you into that funnel. Great. Okay. Well, this is it. There were two hunters. They were out in the woods, way out in Nowheresville. And one falls down. He looks like he's dead. His buddy says, buddy, buddy, wake up. He doesn't move. So he picks up his phone and he phones 911. Yes, Ellie, phones can reach 911 from almost anywhere now. So he phoned the operator. He said, operator, 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 help me, help me. My buddy looks dead. The operator says, can you make sure he's dead? So the phone drops down. There's a loud click and a cock of a rifle. And there's a loud bang. He comes back to the phone and says, yes, he's dead. What do I do now? Oh, my God. <laughs> Allie, do you know why that's the world's funniest joke? Why? Because it's probably the world's worst joke. And we laugh at it because we'd otherwise be aghast and crazy by it. Isn't it the things in life that we have to laugh at that really are bizarre and crazy? Otherwise, we'd just go crazy. I, I mean, yeah. do people laugh at people when they slip on a banana peel? Yes. Yes. Why? They're going to get hurt, but we laugh at them. Don't we laugh at old Laurel and Hardy movies, old slapstick, the three stooges where they're hitting each other? Why? <laughs> because that's what life's about. It's the funny things that make us make us human. They make us really better as a result of that. And and yeah. I think it's laughter that keeps us safe. I agree. And I know, you know, physically it releases a lot of feel good hormones like oxytocin and things like that, that physically make your body feel better. So every time you can fake a laugh and it will release that you can fake a smile, it will release that. So if you're not even watching a funny movie or hearing a funny joke and you just need to release, you can fake laugh or fake smile and it'll do the same thing in the brain. I mean, how cool is that? Well, yeah, exactly. And I'm going to go to another pearl. It's just a short one. I'd like to tell a story. Because our book is based on stories. And every chapter, every pearl in our book begins with a story. And I think those stories are very important. So let's talk a little bit about enthusiasm. There was a carpenter by the name of Fred. And he was tired. He was 65. He'd worked for one company for 45 years. And he couldn't do it any longer. So he went to his boss and said, boss, I'm quitting. The boss was taken aback. This was his best carpenter. He'd built every house that this company had ever built. So he said, Fred, could you please do one more thing for me before you quit? Fred said, sure, boss. I've loved it here. What would you like? He said, you know, Fred, could you build me just one more house? Only you can do it. You're my master carpenter. 
Well, when he egged him on like that, of course, Fred had to. So Fred said, okay, boss, but his heart wasn't into it. He dragged his butt to work every day. He barely got the job done. He did shoddy workmanship for the first time in his life. He just had no heart in it. He had lost his enthusiasm. But a miracle happened, and the house passed inspection. So he went back to his boss and said, okay, boss, this is my last day. I'm out of here. The boss said, just hold it a minute, Fred. I'm going to call everybody in the office around. Everybody, this is Fred's last day. He's very happy, but I'm very sad. But you know, I want him to enjoy his retirement. And I've got one last present for him. Fred, here's the keys to the last house you ever built. Please enjoy it with all the enthusiasm you used every day in your work. Now, do you want to know why I'm saying that, Allie? Well, it's because enthusiasm is not a Monday thing. It's not a Friday thing. It's not a Wednesday thing. It's not a thing you turn on and off. You've got to do every day of your life. Otherwise, it really you're really just putting in the motion. You know, mm. if you're, as Gandhi said, if you're a carpet sweeper, be the best sweeper you can be. You know, if, if you do your job, no matter how menial it is, if you put all your heart and soul into it, it'll become a great job. And that's what I'd like everybody to do in their regular day. I'd love them to spend the minutes and do the things as good as they can, because then it'll be a much more enjoyable day. Beautiful. I love it. I Mm -hmm. agree. All right. Well, your websites are dralanlika.com and Harriet's yours is empoweredme.ca. What will people find when they go to your websites and how can they get the book? Well, you know, on my uh, website, first they'll get a free chapter by just signing up for it. There's a lot of information on Harriet and I on the, on our site on there, but I'd also like people to go to a site called fantasticlifebook.com. And if they want to buy a copy, buy through there. Because if they do, I know who bought it from where. And Harriet and I are giving 20% of the profits of her book to help women that are going through a terrible relationship for shelters for women so that they can rebuild their lives and have a better experience as a result. So it, that way I can give it back to the communities that, that invested in my book. And I think that's where it has to be. And in addition, on my site, uh, there's a lot of information. For example, tomorrow is a day when 36 of our our podcasts that we've been on all go up and people can just click on them and listen to us on all these other podcasts. Plus, they can find out how to get in touch with us so that if they want us to be a speaker at their symposium, we'd love to be at either Harriet or I or both of us together because we can really make your your symposia that much better. Or if you have a weekly work session that you want some enlightenment for, we can help that. You know, in this day and age where we're going through so much angst, so much despair, Harriet and I would like to make a better place for you and really make it a better day for you. So that's where you'll find information on how to interact with us. Now, Harriet also has a site for her special uh, project, and I'll let I'll go through that now. Harriet, please. Mm-hmm. You bet. And the, it's 
basically it complements what we have in the book. It's all the very last golden pearl, which is about empowerment. So it's working with young women in the community or anybody virtually about empowerment. And also the other thing that uh, Dr. Laika uh, was uh, didn't mention is we can people can text to this number the word golden pearls so that's also another gift yes like and they will get 52 golden pearls one golden pearl a week for 52 okay. weeks so we'd love to text it given the number there harriet oh you bet the phone number the number is one eight one nine seven one seven two five one five so that's one eight one nine seven one seven two five one five, and you get a golden pearl every Tuesday at around ten o'clock Mountain Time. Beautiful. All right, so it's the secrets to living a fantastic life with thirteen pearls of wisdom, or you can text and get the fifty-two pearls of wisdom every week of the year. How beautiful! I love your stories. I love how you've overcome trauma and turned it into something positive. I believe that very often our stories, by sharing our stories, it can be the key to unlocking someone else's prison. So I hope we've done that here today. Thank you both so much for being here. Oh, thanks, Ali, for having us. It's been a great experience. Yes, Ali, thank you very much. And you can see how Harriet and I complement each other. When we, one person runs ahead, I, we, the other person helps out. And when I forgot something, Harriet was so good to put it in as well. I love that. Bet. Yeah, teamwork. Thing one and thing two. But we say it's ebony and ivory. Yes. Very much so. As I said, people are bitters. Uh, Harriet's a gorgeous black lady, and I'm ivory with a very white, silvery hair. So it's, it's a, a total contradiction of terms, but we fit together to make a beautiful book. Oh, that's so beautiful. Well, thank you guys so much. See you next time, Ebony and Ivory. <laughs> thank you, Ali. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Food Heals Nation, if the current state of affairs makes you crave a good glass of wine every now and then, or every night, no judgment, I wanted to share with you my latest discovery. It is clean crafted vegan wine because not all wine is vegan, not all wine is clean. There's a lot of additives and sulfites and stuff we don't need in our bodies and wine, but I've discovered the one that is the cleanest and most delicious and the most beautiful packaging. It's Scout and Cellar. And you can buy that right now for yourself, for your friends, for your Thanksgiving dinner or holiday party at scoutandcellar.com slash foodheals. You'll get 5% off six bottles of wine, 10% off 12 bottles of wine, plus free shipping. I'm going to let the founder tell you more about why clean crafted is the way to go when it comes to wine. Roll it, Roxy. Hey there, my name is Sarah Shadnix. I'm the CEO and founder of Scout and Cellar. We're going to take you on a journey from grape to glass. Clean Crafted Wine starts in the vineyard. That's where the difference begins. All the people that are involved in Clean Crafted are passionate about caring for our earth, caring for their families, caring for the future generations. And we get a chance to meet them in a variety of ways through our current grower relationships. And we become introduced to them by going to their vineyards, by breaking bread with them, by shaking hands with them, by getting their soil in our boots. Right before harvest, we're checking for chemical pesticides and lots of other yucky stuff. Stuff we don't want in our bodies, stuff we don't want in the ground. So harvest is a really special time at Scout and Cellar. It's an exciting time. You can feel the buzz in, in the air. The grapes are harvested by hand. They're harvested in very small lots. 
often at night or in the cool morning air. So again, the time of day matters during harvest because it protects the grapes. So after our clean crafted grapes are harvested by hand and taken to the winery, they're sorted by hand very carefully to make sure that any yucky stuff is removed. So after the grapes are hand sorted, we have to extract the yumminess that's inside of them. So for white grapes, we press them and for red grapes, we crush them. The fermentation process is very slow and that ensures that all of the deliciousness that's present in the terroir, that's present in the grapes, that's present in the skins and red wine is extracted slowly and perfectly so that it can be present in your glass at the end. So after wine is fermented at Scout and Cellar, then it's put into some kind of an aging vessel. There's lots of different kinds of aging vessels. Stainless steel, concrete egg, neutral barrels, or new barrels. So after the wine is finished aging, it's time to test it again because we're all about making sure that we're delivering a clean crafted wine every single time. So now that the wine has passed our second lab test, it's time to put it in a bottle. And so we're creating our own brands. We're bottling our own wines all around the country and working with farmers, with growers, with family-owned wineries, with the little guy, with the independent guy that are committed to clean crafted, whether for generations or that have become committed to clean crafted because of Scout Cellar. And our bottling practices are also consistent with our clean crafted mission. We bottle in lighter glass so that when we ship it around the country, it creates a smaller carbon footprint. We bottle in eco-friendly cork and we don't use foil doesn't provide a benefit to the wine and it's not good for the environment. So now's the best part. We get to enjoy the clean crafted wine that was grown and made so thoughtfully and carefully. We get to pop the cork and share it with friends and family and share the story of the deliciousness of the clean crafted wine. And so clean crafted is the only standard that guarantees that what goes into the bottle and into your glass is free from any yucky stuff. So there you have it. The clean crafted journey started with people and it ends with people. You see at Scout and Cellar, we're all about gathering around a clean crafted wine and creating a better wine drinking experience to share with friends and family and those that we love. So thank you to Sarah, the founder and CEO of Scout and Cellar for explaining that so eloquently. So Food Heals Nation, avoid those pesky wine hangovers by drinking clean, vegan, sulfate-free, additive-free wine in the most beautiful packaging you've ever seen by going to scoutandcellar.com slash foodheals. That's scout, S-C-O-U-T, and cellar, C-E-L-L-A-R, dot com slash food heals. You'll save big, you'll get free shipping, and you can even join the wine club to get new delicious bottles every month. Scoutandcellar.com slash food heals. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to actually start using their $39.99 a month gym membership. If you experience any of these symptoms, Snapchat your trainer immediately.